0: Yo, we made make
1: this, and we'll did it again. Welcome to another episode of Big Ego Media. I've got another special guest called by the name of Cyril Nelson. How are you today, bro? All is well. Thank uh, you for inviting me. No, nah, no, nah, thank you for being here, man. So, this one's a bit different. Mm. This one is um, an entrepreneurial one. Uh, yeah. We have a few entrepreneurs here before in the past, but want to make it a little bit more educational for, for the people out there. So, you grew up in Peckham. Yeah. I mean, how we always start is, tell us where you grew up and where you're
0: from. Yeah, so originally, um, heritage Ghanian, both parents Ghanian. Um, actually born and raised in um, Dulwich initially, then moved to Camberwell when I was about five, six. That's where I went to school, um, went to St. Thomas Apostles College, then Richmond, then uni up north. I mean, yeah.
1: go, going up into uh, Peckham, right? mm. it's a renowned area, yeah. infamous those areas well. I as mean, What do you remember about the, 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 the dangers of yeah. being in
0: that area? I was there from before Warwick Park days, mm. so North Peckham Estate, um, and how it, Peckham kind of transformed continuously, especially after um, Damalola Taylor's death as well then the whole gentrification kind of kicked in. Mm. So I remember both sides, North Peckham Estate, where it was just a next thing, then when around, you could say, after the millennium, it just changed. Mm. So it was a constant change, people coming in, coming out. Um, as you know, the roadside the road in terms of road life was, it was intense mm. sometimes. So it was just all about, you know, being... On the right side ducking in and out of that kind of environment
1: i mean how did you kind of stay away from being so entrenched in it mm. because people growing up that were yeah. very much involved in that yeah. lifestyle and you were kind of in the periphery yeah so how did you manage to say okay i can dabble but I don't get too myself too
0: deep in yeah if i'm going to keep 100 it was probably god's grace like so as you know sometimes being in the wrong place at the wrong time and then that's another situation so i guess it was just i kind of i always believe the more options you have in life the better yeah. so i'll be hanging around with the white boys in bermondsey i'll be with the Mandem. then summer i'm in different countries because i was part of the rotary international youth exchange so like i've always been someone who doesn't like the same environment yeah. so i was always just in and out yeah. and i think that was it helped. So I kind of experienced different things, even though I still grew up in Campbell, Southampton Way. I mean, growing up with
1: your, your, in your household, yeah. both your mum and
0: dad? Um, initially, um, my dad was more based in Ghana. Yeah. My mum was here because she wanted me to have an um, education in England. Yeah. So he was kind of like in and out, like call him like a part time father figure role. And yeah, it was just my mum, my uncles, family members, who kind of raised me to, you know, I mean, be who I am. How
1: do you think that made any difference in regards to not having your father there? Do you think yeah. it made any difference to your growing up?
0: Um, I'm on, If I'm honest, you can't really miss something you've never really experienced. No. And because I had a lot of male role models in terms of my uncles, um, they kind of kept an eye on me. And again, obviously, when you are on the streets, they want you to not be there. So they constantly spoke with me, um, told me about, you know, other opportunities. And they were role models themselves, the mm-hmm. professions they had. So it was kind of easy to see the life that they had made for themselves yeah. and uh, not even aspire, but just know that there was other options mm-hmm. rather than just the roads.
1: I mean, what did you want to be though, not, though? What was the thing?
0: Initially just football. Um, football again growing up in south you're around serious ballers um even from school like you used to see people like dixon otuhu those times they were at man city you see you see the 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 product of success Mm. by grinding working hard so those guys were the blueprint for you to follow Mm. they will come back in the ends with their cars you're 14 15 like wow like that has to be me if I put in the work yeah. and even in my class, we had so many bowlers who played for Fulham, West Ham, Millwall, some had trials for even Barcelona. So already you just knew the levels yeah. and if you wanted to be there, it was just training, yeah. training three times a week, play matches on Saturdays and Sundays. That was the grind. So yeah. that kind of helped you not focus on the other side of the ends.
1: But I mean, how did you not focus on it as well? Because at the same time, when you're seeing these people mm. are doing well, they're being flashy, mm. they've got their, what do you call it, playing football, on the other side, the joggers were flashy yeah. as well. So how did you separate which one was good and which one was bad for you?
0: Again, sometimes you double in and out. Mm. Um, I was fortunate because my mum was able to provide the general things I wanted, whether it's the night crepes, certain things. It meant the temptation wasn't like, for some guys in the ends, they had to. Yeah. They, their parents couldn't provide for them, so it, it is what it is. Yeah. But I was fortunate where at least the basics, I could get it from my parents or yeah. family members. Um, but the attraction and the allure is always there, because again, when you're with those guys and you're walking, just say on front line, the, attra- the attention they get, the respect they get, is, is, very, is very attractive. Yeah. And you do want a piece of that because that's something that you could almost say money can't buy when you're on the roads. So it was something that, as I said, you, you double in and out and some people get stuck in it. Some people kind of grow out of it or some people just do other stuff. Yeah. So there was definitely the temptation and most of us fell into it. Yeah. But we were just fortunate by grace. It's only grace that kind of got us out of it.
1: And how
0: important was religion in your sort of life growing up? Yeah, Roman Catholic. Um, mum forced me to be an altar server. Yeah. If you're not an altar server, you're not playing football on Sunday. Okay. So I had to be an altar server on Saturday evenings in church and then ensure that, you know, that allowed you to play football on Sunday. So, again, that kind of kept you level-headed as well because you can't be doing madness and then you're going to church on Sunday, mm. at, you know, serving at the altar. Yeah. So that was, that was like, again, it was a, another distraction to stop you from going the wrong path. Mm. But like, again, as you say, when you're around a certain group of people, even if you're not partaking, you're definitely part of the, the melee by association. Mm. So that, that can always, you know, be compromising sometimes.
1: Mm. And you said also um, you joined a sort of youth exchange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, tell us more, but like, I don't think a lot of youth are doing that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people probably don't understand how big the world yeah. is and opportunities are out there for them. What made you decide to join that? How did it come about? Yeah.
0: Um, in school, there was something on the um, noteboard saying, Do you want to travel? And for me, it was like, Yeah, why not? Like somewhere new. And I just applied, I got back to you. Your mum makes a donation. It's an international youth exchange. So you go to their country and they come to your country. And again, you get to meet an interesting network of people. I was in Poland, France, um, and a few other European cities. And again, it's just opening your eyes to different opportunities in life. And I think regardless the situation you're in, you can always look for alternatives options yeah. to you know broaden your horizons. So that was just always, I think, ingrained in me. Like, yeah, I want to just see what's up. Like. And that's why I could hang around with different people, yeah. whether it's Mandem white boys in um, Gravesend, whether it's the Mandem in the Ends, whether it's my friends in West. It was just for me, like, yeah, that's that's the kind of person I am.
1: So at this type type of age, and you know, what's the? Are you still trying to do football? When is the ambition for football mm. stopping? Are you trying to think about other yeah.
0: things? So that was around fourteen, fifteen. I definitely got swayed by you know the. I won't even say street life, but just social. Going out, I was going to under eating raves with my boys. You see them wearing Gucci shoes. Them times there, Gucci wasn't bait. Like mm-hmm. Gucci was 200 pounds for a pair of loafers. Mm-hmm. And Selfridges or in Clerkenwell, like it wasn't a common thing as you see, like mm-hmm. as fresh drip. So like my mum was not going to spend 200 pounds on a pair of Gucci loafers. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, rah, if my boys are wearing that, like, forget a pair of 110s or Air Max 95s or something. Mm. Like, I want, I want what they were doing. Yeah. So that, that was the kind of time where it kind of led me to kind of move away from football. And it was around the same time I had trials with Man City, Millwall. Um, I was a goalkeeper playing for District, County, Borough. Yeah. So it was quite high level at that time. And when I didn't get into those clubs, I kind of was highly disheartened. Yeah. And I didn't know like, for me, playing for the lower divisions, it wasn't something I wanted to do. Mm. So my mind just instantly switched from, you know what, let me just focus on making money and education somewhat. But the main focus at that time was making money. So I guess that's where my interest changed and football no longer became a priority, which I won't say I regret, but if I'd carried on, definitely playing for like League Two, those kind of you know would, would clubs you, would you think
1: that would have made you happier than what you are now
0: definitely not probably mm. not because again as growing up you kind of discover what you're good at and what you enjoy and my passion was always just meeting new people mm. i think the the asset i bring to the company i run is just creating networks and that's that was always me and mm. maybe football it was kind of just seeing the high life seeing all the guys in the ends who got YTSs, contracts for big clubs, driving the Beamers. That was always the ambition. Mm. That, that was probably the end goal. But I realised like, you know, over time you could do that. You can have all of those luxuries doing many other things, mm. which are also legal as well. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: what led you to, because now uh, you you live you left the UK yeah. and you're living permanently in Ghana. For now. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, for now. Tell us that whole transition. Okay,
0: so from college, getting into all of that stuff, um, I had an internship at William Morris Entertainment, which is a big booking agency that books big artists. And just kind of, I, I kind of doubled in music as well. And then after I got into the industry from the other side, Um, Working in that industry kind of opened my eyes to various different industries. Um, From then on, I worked with Sir Richard Branson on a project called Patience is a Virtue where we were employed to work for him. And I kind of met his son's... I did meet his son's um, team members crew and company called Sundog Pictures. And they were making videos and getting paid a lot of money. And I was like, rawr, so you get paid to just make videos? And they were like, yeah, basically. And my previous interest in meeting people, networking, kind of made me say, you know what, I want to do that. So I met a friend at the time called Jared Sago, who was a film director and later became the co-founder. I was like, yo, listen, I find the work, you you'd execute and we split the shares. Mm. And instantly, like, it became quite successful. That was around the Jamal Edwards era where he was just blowing up as well. He was getting work. So we were doing projects with him. We were doing projects with Nike.
1: I mean, how did that even first come about? Because you just said, okay, cool, let's do this. How did you start contacting these people to get these contracts? The
0: good thing is we were out all the time. Like, you're talking 2000, from 2015 to 2017. 2005, sorry, to 2012, where, again, I've, I like meeting people. So I'd always been building a network of people, whether it was in music, Football, fashion, the ends, just, it was just something that I naturally did. So when it came to building a media agency, finding other creatives, like-minded people, it wasn't too difficult because you've already developed a network that you have, have always had. But now you call upon these people like, yo, what are you doing? Like, could we support you? Don't mind working for you at a cut rate because we want to build portfolio. It just becomes a natural process and that's why i feel in this day and age like this is kind of on the verge of social media as well so face it was probably facebook myspace days where you're just building networks from music from employment from and it was something that i always ensured that i continue doing even up to this day mm. just building networks so when you need to do something you know someone yeah, yeah.
1: so that's going to into the finances but what was that sort of that first contract with Nike, how that was and did it change your life at the time or what was mm.
0: it? So Donis, I had to work for a year to be able to afford equipment mm. and I think it helped me to appreciate everything, even equipment, looking after equipment, mm. um, accounting for equipment because when, you, when you're working for something mm. you appreciate rather than when it's given to you or you lick it.
1: I, cause I, 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 I need that, because these guys have told you, like, we've got so much equipment in here, I can't keep. Like, the other day, he had some sound card, and I was like, oh, what's that? He said, oh, you remember, you bought it? Yeah, I didn't yeah. even know that I bought, I bought some of this stuff, so it's like trying to keep account of everything account, we have, yeah. and knowing that, take care of equipment as well. Exactly,
0: know? and equipment's very expensive mm. as well. So, I think working for a year to save up to buy equipment It was profound for me because it was the first investment I had made in myself, financially. So um, to add to that, um, we were just buying stuff, um, doing a lot of work. We knew that we just had to get ourselves out there. Once people saw the level of content we were producing and we did pro bono work, that would naturally lead to contracted work. And some of the big clients like Nike, we started working for, we were working with Nike via PR agency. It wasn't the pay was next to nothing, Mm -hmm. but that we knew the long term goal was just produce content. Then in the long run, we could shop it to other companies. And our first big client was Telefonica O2. We were part of the Think Big program and we just kind of convinced them that, yeah, we can handle your account, (laughs) which was it was it was way more than we could chew off. But like when you work with Richard Branson and his team, they're like, If an opportunity comes, take it and figure out how to do it later. Mm. So we had that account for a good few months and the money was excellent. And that's what allowed us to expand in terms of buying equipment and reputation, because when you work with one big company, it's easier to get links to another. So then it just kind of snowballed naturally. Mm. Yeah.
1: So then what was the, the big break then?
0: Um, i say the big breaks, like when you went, for me personally, when you get a big break, you're always looking for another big break. Mm. So, so,
1: even now, you really <laughs> your big
0: break. The, the big breaks never end because mm. just say you clock your first million, you're like, wow, like our competitor has four million. Now we need to go and get four million. So, from our viewpoint, the breaks just keep in, like...
1: Is that you subtly telling us that <laughs> the, the first contract was a million? Is that you, you, you telling us that? It
0: wasn't a million, it wasn't a million. <laughs> but that's how the kind of process works for mm. breaks, especially for the agency model, because, mm. again, you can have one big client, and when you lose that client, you go bankrupt. Mm. So you never kind of look at your trophies, you're always trying to win more trophies. Mm. And that's how what keeps you hungry and keeps you growing. So
1: then what w- led you to go to move to Africa. Yeah.
0: Again, it was a contract. I, we, because the co-founder and myself have Ghanaian heritage, we were going back anyway, filming content. We wanted to do a reality TV show. Yeah. And we, so we actually invested money to film there. And then I met a few people again, me, I believe in networks, yeah. your network is your net worth. So met a few people and then we landed a presidential election contract to oh, do well. social media. Yeah. and. Again, you don't turn down those opportunities. Like I left w- London within three days. Okay. I didn't even pack. <laughs> like my mom was depressed, like what are you doing? Why are you going there? What's mm-hmm. there for you? But over time, when she saw the work we were doing, plus the, the you could say the, what we had reaped from the work from we were doing, labor. she was like, okay, cool. That, that was such a great move. Mm-hmm. Um, in hindsight, we were fortunate that he lost because mm. then it meant we had to even level up again. Okay, And I feel that's how life is. You always have to constantly be levelling up.
1: But if, if he'd won, if he'd won, it would have, have made you complacent? Yeah? Definitely,
0: because we would have been within the political scene in Ghana yeah. and it's, it's very interesting and it's not for everyone. Yeah. Probably not for me. So him not winning the 2016 elections was a good omen for our business trajectory Mm. because then we had to go and find proper like clients who were looking for kpis and Mm. you know different type of results
1: So from from the back of that you was able to then shop your services to everyone yeah yeah definitely
0: and able to establish yourself employ people invest in equipment because again when you're in the agency production agency you keep in you keep have to buy equipment Mm. every two years three years so it's all about Buying equipment, investing in stuff, investing in yourself, just building the brand.
1: So, I mean, you went back to Africa initially yeah. for that project. What then made you say, I'm going to actually stay here instead yeah. of going back to the UK?
0: I, I had a house. Yeah. I had assets there. So it was like, after I was like, wow, do I come back to London? And I was coming back every year anyway. Yeah. So I was like, you know, sometimes I believe in taking risks. I take risks for everything. Like, I don't mind failure or losing and that's the one thing I learned from looking at successful people that they fail all the time Mm. and for me it was like, well, let me try this out. If it doesn't work, at least I have the experience and fortunate enough, again, with the networks I have building um, that through my time in Ghana, I was just able to call on people and say like, listen, um, we're looking for retainer accounts, we're looking for business. And they link you up and Ghana is very different to the Western world where um, I don't even know how to say this Um, opportunities can be bought. So, (laughs) so again, when you when there's a saying in Ghana, um, make I chop, you chop. Mm. So when you understand that philosophy, doing business probably in most of Africa is quite Mm. straightforward.
1: As long as you get the money, you can buy the contract to mm-hmm. give you more money. Basically,
0: I said it, not you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so it's as easy as that. So, with that being said, is it, I think where the focus is in Africa now. What are you trying to do in Africa now in terms of the whole business? Um,
0: because our company is now established not just in Ghana, West Africa. The focus definitely is to get investment from the West. Hence the reason why I often come back to London. I speak with investors. I speak with other business owners and kind of show them what we're doing, what we want to do. And again, once they buy into you as a person, then your company, it just opens up doors. Mm. And COVID was brilliant for that because all these investors, rich people, they didn't have, they were looking for new places to spend money. And COVID allowed them to look at Ghana, especially because of the year of return, um, beyond the year of return. Um, We worked on that campaign with the, president's office. Yeah. Um, and again, when you do that, then you go and shop it to investors already. You're, you're selling your own message, your own content mm-hmm. and ideas to them. They, they take interest. Yeah. And that opened up a new window of opportunity. And the benefits are probably gonna be reaped 2022, 2023, 2024. Everything is always long-term, mm-hmm. especially if you want it to reap bigger dividends and bigger profits. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to always look at the long-term game. So again, from when when things were slow during that time, our aim was just B2B marketing and talking to investors, trying to get them to Ghana to look at the opportunities available. And frankly, they have. Hence the reason why I'm in London to kind of not only have this interview but speak with other people yep. to bring them.
1: I mean. What is it then about Ghana? I know you guys are had mm. a year of return. Which is yeah. thing that? Was, was it what launched people going back to yeah, Ghana? Yeah, so the
0: president launched the campaign um, with Bazoma and Boris Kojo, two American influencers and celebrities. Mm. And they brought, like, some of the biggest names in, in, in all industries. You're talking about Vice President of America Bank, Cristiano Ronaldo's accountant. Like, you were talking, like, not just the celebrities, but the guys in finance and they came to kind of celebrate what was good about Ghana, what is good about Ghana and Ghana's future. So that marketing campaign was flawless. Mm. Like the organic reach was exceptional. And from it's a shame COVID just came and kind of put a halt to it mm. in 2019. But I think just the ripple effect and the African-Americans who gravitated towards Ghana, it being a safe country, mm. Um, English-speaking country um, welcoming to foreigners as well um, fairly welcoming to business opportunities and business investment it just the ripple effect was crazy and you see that every December in Ghana
1: So, what, what, do you think then there's more countries need to learn from Ghana because it's as like if like every Christmas now mm. all the Ghanai's in the UK all the ones in <laughs> Holland Germany they like, yeah we're going to Ghana yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. The, it's the lit place to yeah. be now do you think more countries need to learn from that, or is it that's very unique about Ghana in itself? No,
0: definitely not. Foreign direct, foreign direct investment is for every country. Mm. Like, the UK do it the best. When they send Prince Charles, Camilla, around the world, mm. they're shopping for contracts. Like, it's no different to what the Ghanaian president is doing himself. Um, and more countries need to do that because that's what brings investment to your countries. Yeah. Because you can't always rely on your governments to aid the people, yeah. it's the private sector that pushes that forward. Mm. So, yeah, I definitely champion that. And sometimes you also have to champion it yourself as an individual. Yeah. And that was one of the main reasons I moved to Ghana, because my philosophy was make Africa look beautiful. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah.
1: So- What are the plans for the future now? What what, what would you say your company is, a digital marketing agency? So
0: So, we're a content production agency. So we specialize in high-end content. Um, We have a large team based in London, Accra and Dubai. Um, Work on small projects. Our biggest project in Africa was Afro Nation. We we were in charge of the content for that. Worked on the year of return. Um, We even did the analytics for that. Um, so for us it's just like you have to keep growing Mm. like one thing I've learned change is constant so if you're not trying to level up every year someone will come and circumvent your clients Mm. your business will go stale and so it's just it's just the hustle the hustle never ends Yeah.
1: So, so what have what, what you got planned now for the rest of 2022 and 2023
0: coming? Just kind of revising the company's strategy. Again, Ghana is a very volatile market, so you can't, you can't. Yeah, last year was a good year, so I'm good this year. Like you always have to be like, what's next? What are we going to do? Who are we going to merge with? So we have a few um, partnerships that we're working with, working on with a big publication to bring them to the continent, which will be a game changer. And it's just about amplifying everything you're doing. Mm. Like, I did this last year. What can I do this year? And what value could I bring to our company and our clients?
1: And what would you say to the Young, because obviously your, your roots are back in London mm. as well. And as you say, you grew up in Perkham. Yeah, you, you know some of the people that I know, many who have passed away. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, your ambition originally was to become a footballer yeah. like everyone else, you double the music, but you went and done something completely different. Mm. What kind of method do you have to our young people growing up now in London mm. to say, look, this is what I've done and this is how you can do it. I mean, yeah. what, what would you tell them?
0: I'll just say, always say like my mantra is the more options you have in life, the better. So you don't even have to be at a certain level in, in life to think like that. You can just always try and look for new options. Mm. If it means, one day you say you know what? i'm gonna to go to this networking event one day i'm gonna i'm gonna go to this apprentice one day i'm gonna go and do this always try new stuff learn for me like i feel the more i've learned the more i've wanted to learn even more because it's like it just opens your mind to just new things and for me just talking to people i actually went on courses that helped me with networking because okay. i was like yeah i need to learn how to talk With people from different backgrounds better. Mm. So, again, constant learning and constantly looking for more options in life.
1: And we wish you every success. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.